0: Hey, it's Toph, and welcome to part two of our time with Brendan Bayless of Umphreys McGee. We will be jumping into the Mantis album here in part two, starting with the nerdy deets, getting to the track by track, and all of the other delights you can expect from us doofuses. So here we go, part two of episode 43 with Brendan Bayless. Well, let's do it. When we dig into the record, we, uh, we call it the Nerdy Deets Done Dirt Cheap. So let's get into it. You want some Nerdy Deets? Yeah! You want some Nerdy Deets? All right. Mantis was released on January 20th, 2009. It was Bayless & Co.'s sixth studio album. One of the things that's kind of fascinating about this one is that this you guys took about a year and a half. Is that right to record this?
1: this definitely was the longest we had up to that point it was the first time we ever really took the time because we wanted to play the songs live after the record came out so a lot of times we've kind of tweaked them live and then kind of recorded them but so this one was basically the first time we ever took that much time so a year and a half from when we started it to where it comes that sounds about right
0: yeah. And you played the record in full at Nokia, I think in New York city, uh, the, the, the week it came out or maybe a couple of days before it came out, mm-hmm. um, which was a great show. Uh, was it weird playing a, a set full of songs that very few people knew?
1: Yes. I remember walking out and being terribly excited to do it and then quickly realizing that no one had heard it. <laughs> They're all kind of just staring and taking it in, which it wasn't bad, but it wasn't, Fist pumping, you know, movement. So it it was definitely a learning experience for us.
0: Well, soon enough, uh, plenty of them would become classics and go tos, right? But that that was I thought that was kind of cool that you guys did that. It feels like a concept album, and I'm not sure if there are lyrical themes or or consistencies. It certainly seems like there are some musical themes. That certainly the Cemetery Walk, you know, pairing is you know, kind of interesting in the way that that kind of musically works, but is there any of that going on or am I reading into it too much?
1: No, there is. We, it was weird because like Mantis, for example, it's weird. I never really talk about this stuff. I always feel kind of like self-indulgent just by talking about it. But um, Mantis became like the centerpiece because it was the most ambitious thing we'd ever tried to do. It was 12 minutes and it had all this movement. Yeah and then when it became time to work on the lyrics i basically the music was so big that the subject matter had to be that big yeah and so just talking about the concept of god and a higher power um, but trying to not do it where it sounds preachy or even that i'm talking about god at all because it's kind of off-putting to some people some people aren't very religious at all. Some people are. And it's kind of a point of contention. So yeah. I'm trying to dance around without saying God is great and I love God. Yeah. Now, yeah. Put, cause for me, it was like maybe I believe, but that doesn't mean some of the other guys do. And I don't feel it's my place to put words in their mouth or speak on their behalf.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's cool. It, it does seem kind of metaphoric in a lot of ways. But mis- a lot of your your lyrics are kind of mysterious, right? Where it's like, you know, man, I know like probably talking about something, you know, personal or something critical, but it's not a, it, it, you You use the word self-indulgent. One of the things I love about your, the way you, you know, compose lyrics is I don't hear like I or me that much. It's, it's usually conceptual or it's something, an observation or, or, or talking about people in, in, in a little bit more of an abstract way. I, I think it's cool because you know, a lot of times it's like people see lyrics. It's like, okay, this is time to like talk about myself or make it like super personal or indulgent. And I think it goes along with making sure that the music and the vocal lines are at the forefront, but obviously lyrically there, you you know, you guys have done some really interesting stuff and certainly this, this album's no exception.
1: Well, I'm glad you noticed that because I've taken considerable effort to exclude the word I and me. There's definitely times where I have to use it, um, depending on the song, but as a rule of thumb, if I can avoid it, I do, because it instantly opens up everything to being more interpretive. It could be about anything else. But if I'm talking specifically about me, it becomes way less of a open-ended song for people to kind of get lost in. I I love being vague and I love trying to make people think that I'm talking about them, even though I'm talking about somebody else, or talking about myself. And there's been times where I've written songs and it seemed too obvious. So then I would flip it and be like, well, what if I was writing it from this person's perspective, you know, to kind of make it different.
0: Yeah. It's cool. It's cool in that way. You know, before we get into track by track, you know, which will be great to get your take on a, uh, on, on kind of this top to bottom. Did the record accomplish, you know, what you guys were looking for creatively um, and, and conceptually? Because I think it was a pivotal moment for you guys. I think it was, you know, obviously the live experience is so important and, you know, it's such a great part of normalcy, as I said from the beginning. But from the standpoint of really being able to compose and, and execute and do so with a studio album that really, I think, you know, took you guys to, to another level. As far as your ability to kind of demonstrate that you know you're here to stay, whether it's the live experience or the studio experience, were you guys pleased and, and were you kind of fulfilled with um, the the way it turned out?
1: Yeah, we were because we'd never had the amount of time we had, and everything in the past was a two week session or five days here and five days there, and we got to get it all done. And this one, we kind of made an agreement let's not put this out until everybody's you know signed off on and everybody's happy. So it's funny cuz i hadn't listened to it in so long. Today was listening to it and i was like, oh man, that actually sound i remember that part. We don't put, do that live. There's a lot of layers um ear candy stuff that we can't replicate live. Yeah. Um and it was i yeah, sonically i i, I agree it was the first time we it felt like we kind of graduated to another um ring on the ladder or rung or whatever you want to. Yeah. Name is.
2: Yeah. Do you, do you enjoy playing this stuff live still? And if so, are there any particular tracks on Mantis that, you know, and I don't know what your set list process is, but I'm assuming that it's somewhat democratic, but is there anything that you're always pushing the band to want to play off this record and things that you really enjoy performing live?
1: I love 1348 and I could play that song every show so with with our light guy with at the time was um jefferson waffle when this waffle, yeah and i i've never i never made any suggestions to when it was budney i never or waffle i never once was like do this do this do this i want purple here i want this there never once but then for 1348 i was like okay you got to do a spotlight on me when it's just me a spotlight on jake when it's two of us and then you got to raise everything like this and yeah. that was the only like cue I've ever given him. And Budney um, was our first like guy. He came to see us. And after the show, he was like, man, Waffle did this super cool thing in 1348. And I was like, that was my idea. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that one's, that one's killer live. It, it, is there anything that you don't like playing live? I mean, it's, uh, you know, I'm curious just as a whole, you know, kind of uh, along those lines. I mean, are there nights? where it's like, I mean, we all, you know, we have day jobs, you know, we're like, we do the corporate thing. And obviously there are, there are just days where it's like, fuck, I just don't want to do it, you know, or I'm tired or I just don't want to deal. Do you have those nights or, or is it the type of thing that you, you hear and feel the buzz of the crowd when you're side stage and, and you know, you're about to go on and you get excited still. And you're like, let's go work.
1: The work became traveling. Mm -hmm. once once it kind of started to pick up and we were gone and you know like just not really trying to sleep on a moving tour bus and all that that became the work um when it's time to play the gig it's always i always get the butterflies right before and i get excited and then in my mind every show has the potential and now it never lands this way (laughs) but in my mind i always try and tell myself this could be one of the best shows you've ever played. this could be the night where everybody plays their ass off and everybody has a good time and the jams are great. So I try and remind myself of that because there is some potential every single night to have one of those like best show in 10 years moments. So I get excited about that every time.
0: What makes a, a bad show versus a great show? Cause obviously the, the casual fan in many cases probably can't tell, probably have a great time no matter what. I mean, W- Particularly when, you walk- when
2: you're shirtless, requesting words over, yeah, you know, yeah.
0: when you're shirtless requesting words, swimming naked with girls, you know. <laughs> but but you know when um, when you walk off and you're kind of like didn't have it tonight. W- what are usually the reasons? Is it like a tight versus kind of being a little bit off timing?
1: Just- for me, it's. I mean, I can't really speak for the other guys. For me, if if my voice sucks, if my voice is off, it to- it puts me in this fu- dark funk. And so I try and separate myself from everybody else and be like, if I'm doing my job and I'm hitting my notes and I'm hitting my parts, that's all I can worry about. Right. So I sometimes what will throw something off is if we start and we start doing a jam and it's just not clicking and that's just throwing caution to the wind. There's, you can't really improvise and plan the outcome. So when we get off to a, a start and it's slow and it's just like, really not clicking when it feels like we're losing the crowd then it becomes laborious and you try to work back to get the initial energy back but conversely if we start a song and the first jam is just like through the roof and everyone's like "Ah," it makes it everything else easier
0: yeah yeah do you do you ever have set list regret you know are you ever like "Eh, maybe that wasn't the best
1: usually when joel writes set (laughs) list
2: That's funny too, because how many times have we love to show him but like, yeah, it's a Joel set. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, literally, Bayless, we have used that term many times. We have too. <laughs> how do you guys construct? Is it, you know, Pearl Jam, it's, they say it's democratic, but really it's Eddie Vedder doing it. And Grateful Dead, there's lots of stories about their formula. Like, what is your formula for a set list?
1: It's funny because we argue about it a lot. <laughs> and... Typically it it's it's ch- it's changed over time. But so we'll all talk about starting a tour and everybody's excited and somebody wants to write a set list and then another guy and then day three or day four, everybody kind of disappears and it's like, uh, we have a sound check of ten minutes. We need to get the set list done. So it kind of rotates. Joel became uh a little a little eager to the point where we would talk about trying to do them and together and we'd show up on the bus and it was already done it's just like well that's not what we talked about but (laughs) at the same time there's nights where no one's done it and thankfully joel did because otherwise we wouldn't we'd be on stage sound checking trying to figure out what we're playing so it's weird it's all a motivational thing i think when it's hometown gigs one guy it's like i'm from here i want to write the set list for this show if i have like an old friend i haven't seen in 10 years i want to write the set list to for that one person which is i know crazy but And then Joel is on Twitter all the time. So he basically wants to whatever the Twitter community is telling him to do.
0: Yeah. Well, I I don't think this is asking too much. I mean, is it cool if nubs and I write your next set list for Detroit? I mean, just, would you just allow us to do that? Start to finish. We'd appreciate it.
1: (laughs) I'm not going to say no. And I'm, you know, if it's good, yes, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) no problem. I would love it.
0: All right. I think we need to drop the needle. You think it's time
2: Nub? let's do it. Yeah. Let's drop that needle. All right, here we go.
1: When the
0: drum beats go like this. Alright, baby, let's get it going here. And things uh things kick off nicely uh, with a song that kinda eases you into it a little bit here with Made to Measure.
2: so dreamy you know it's like it's such a wide open opener
0: yeah it's kind of whimsical I I, I do like I do notice those hand claps too Mm -hmm. always gotta love the gotta love the claps it's a great way to start it off Bayless it's uh it it it, you know obviously you get to the title track and that's when you kind of buckle up and go for the ride but I like the way it kind of and this is where I get with kind of the conceptual pieces you know, it kind of feels like you're being, you know, it's, it's not an intro by any means. It's a, you know, it's a tune, it's a three and a half minute song, but it does feel like you're kind of being like taken by the hand here and led into the thing, which I've always liked about it.
1: It's probably the shortest song on the record. And if you took a step back and just looked at it as a radio thing, it's probably the most commercially accessible because it's very verse chorus verse structure. So I think we did that on purpose to kind of be like, okay, the title track is 12 minutes, so we can't really start with that, but we wanted that to be very quickly into it. So let's start with something that's going to pull everybody in and kind of be easy on the ears. And then we're going to just go like, yeah.
0: I really dig when you guys do back and forth vocals, which is a nice piece of this. And, you know, like, think about like prong and uh, you know, some of the, uh, some other groups that really do that well, where you kind of get this back and forth thing going. And it, what drew me into Humphreys McGee, um, I've obviously like many people, the first song I ever heard was plunger and it was your voice. It, it was like, well, this is a really like unique, awesome voice. That's, you know, very distinct. And obviously you and, and, uh, Jake have different vocal approach, right? His, you know, he's a little more gruff and that sort of thing but you guys have a nice, I mean, obviously you all harmonize very well. Like, you know, like most elite musicians do uh, and vocalists, but the way you guys can sometimes pull off the back and forth thing, I think is nice. And and I love that about made to measure.
1: Well, initially Jake wrote the song and it was the same chords, but he it was called dog head blues or dog house or something. And the words, um, it was one of the first times I was like, I don't want to like insult you, but I think that the song is awesome. So like, let's put some effort into it and try and change the lyrics and make them a little more just interesting you know, to me. And that's always kind of a, a hard conversation to have with anybody. And I ended up rewriting the, the vocals and the melodies. And when it came time to record it, he was like, dude, you know, do you mind if I sing the chorus? Because, you know, I, I was singing in the original demo. I was like, dude, this is your song. I mean, you can sing as much as you want. And he was like, no, I'm, let me just take that part. Um, and I think um, it's it's a cool way to open it because it's almost like a conversation. Yeah. Yeah, I agree.
0: That's That
2: was a good call by him. I am um, so glad the song is not called Doghead Blues. By the way, (laughs) I'm really glad because I think made to measure is a cool title too. And what I hear during, during the, I guess, during the Jake vocal bit, which would be, I guess, considered the chorus is almost, it almost sounds to me Bayless, like hunky Dory era Bowie. It's got that piano going and it's, it's the way that everything's really syncopated and really tight. I don't know if that was at all the goal, but that, that it's a big Bowie music, not the voice, but musically, there's something shining through there.
1: It's funny. I think we were, or Jake, I think initially was going for more of like a Paul McCartney White Album vibe. But
2: yeah, I see that too. Yeah.
1: That works. David Boy will always work.
0: <laughs> so track two is, is called Preamble, which is, a um, you know, it's kind of the melody, one of the main melodies of Mantis and, and sort of a lullaby type version. I assume that's um, Joel sort of playing something through the keys.
1: I think... I think Jake did it. Um, Okay. Jake wrote that, the instrumental part to that part of the song, the guitar part. So I think he wrote that and it's in A minor, which is a fairly easy, uh, forgiving key for piano because it's all white notes. So I think there was a glockenspiel in the studio and he was just kind of messing around. And I don't know if if Manny or or Kevin was like, just record that melody and make that the intro and then We'll tear
0: into it is that the saddest of all keys a, no, a minor? No, d, d minor d minor d minor okay that's right d minor like my love pump yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah and then preamble you know it, i love the melody of preamble to me it's it was like oh this can be fleshed out but you guys sort of do that live with mantis gets or what you call mantis gets right where you sort of take preamble and extend it into a more thick like musical adventure yeah,
1: yeah that ferrick took the stems home of the glockenspiel that Jake laid down and put that into one of his loops and basically kind of came up with the form of Mantis Gets, And I think it was a B-side. But it's cool to do live because some people expect the song to drop. And then when it doesn't, everyone's kind of like, oh, now they're playing hip hop.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. That does create a a cool unpredictability of this show. And both deliver. I think Mantis Gets is a very cool... Because that melody in itself is beautiful and it can also be kind of heavy too when you guys play it out well the preamble takes us into track three the title track mantis
0: now um, 58 shows and finally i was so pumped i think it was two shows ago I finally got it in full. It's great when it gets split up, obviously. But I kept saying, it's like, I want Mantis in full. I want Mantis in full. Cause 12 minutes, but man, the, the movements here and the um, obviously some really good guitar work, you know, by Jake um, really pretty stuff that sort of takes you out, especially during kind of the last third of the song. But, you know, kind of the, the, certainly from a prog standpoint, and from kind of long piece sort of opus standpoint, it, it really an appropriate title track. How did this one come together? Cause it's really, I mean, it's kind of a masterpiece here. I think of, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about this album, I think being a, a sort of, you know, turning point, so kind of taking you guys and turning you into not just a touring juggernaut, but, but just a long game, you know, type recording act uh, and, and long game re- recording artists. And I think this title track has a lot to do with that.
1: I think when we all went through a big yes phase. Um, so I think this might have been our attempt at trying to get to like a roundabout or something that was long and big and through composed. And Nubs you know. just,
0: by the way, Nubs just got a boner when you said yes. Full, just, just like so f- you know. full on. Part,
2: pardon me for that.
1: That's quite all right, man. Here, <laughs> uh, I can only see you from the, the up. <laughs> <back. laughs>
2: You wouldn't see it anyway. It's not much there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, Initially, um, we called it mantis because we kind of, so, I don't know who was like someone had the analogy of like, it sounds like sonically like a crane mantis walking up and biting your head off and just like this big thing. And then when you look up mantis it, in a Greek like mythology and, and there's some older definitions where mantis kind of means like eye of God or higher power. So it's not referring to the insect, but that's where it came from. <laughs> yeah.
2: So we, we've spent many a show, I should say post-show, usually to at Bucharest grill, which is right next to, you know, the state theater in Detroit, you know, doing our post game analysis of the show, you know, and, and I can't tell you how many times we've had the conversation. We mostly have it because we like it so much trying to figure out, you know, who's, who's the prog guy in Umphreys? You know, who's, who's the prog guy and who's the, this guy and who's the, that guy. And we've had these full conversations. Well, Bayless is, is really the prog guy. And I don't, I don't think, you know, I I think that uh, Stasic is the metal guy or, you know, and we're always trying to assign these roles to all of you. And I'm sure that the real answer is you guys are all so eclectic that you like all sorts of different stuff, but within the band, are there two or three of you that really, you mentioned yes. And you know, yes. And Genesis are my two favorite bands of all time, but are, are there guys that were driving the prog thing along? And, and was there any resistance to that? You know, is, is, uh, Chris Myers not a prog guy or, or is uh, Andy not into that stuff? So you guys had to sort of pull them along. I, I know you are, so I'm assuming that, but how did this whole thing develop with you guys turning from kind of early college jam band into like a true prog rock band?
1: Because we all were listening to, um, yes, to Al Dimiola, to my Vishnu, you know, Billy Cobham, because that was, those were the hard songs. And that was, that was teaching us how to play, not just GCD, simple stuff. And none of us had any interest in being a super simple band. We all listened to prog rock and we wanted to kind of like basically not morph into it, but that, that was kind of the goal from the beginning. We just weren't good enough. So, um, I think over time developing chops, um, and then that our first drummer, um, Mike was still into Prague stuff, but once Chris, we got Chris, it kind of went to the next level of Prague because his abilities were so good. And he was able to play in odd time signatures with, without really losing anything. So Jake and Chris are huge prog guys. Um, but we, all, we all be in a van driving four hours, you know, in the morning or after a gig. And we would all, there's a few things that we all agreed on. And yes, was always one of them. Frank Zappa was always one of them, but then we'd also listen to like Snoop Dogg, you know, or like, <laughs> so it was, you know, which is not very prog. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, his later work, I think, got a little proggy, right? Not so much his <laughs> early stuff, but
1: drop it like it's prog. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Chris Myers, underrated vocalist. I mean, some of the, and you know, yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, he can get up there. But to be able to drum 46 and 2 and sing it is pretty impressive.
1: Yeah. And I, I know, I don't think a lot of the people in the crowd are even considering that it's hard to play and it's hard to sing and even more difficult to do both at the same time. And yeah, it's just a natural.
0: Well, if you didn't have the chops, you know, yet back in the South Bend days, I'm I'm pretty sure you guys have developed them by now. And, uh, and we see that on, uh, kind of this part one of two here on track four cemetery walk. love the chorus there's something uh I've always felt kind of kind of throwback about this song you know it's kind of like um you know it's it's modern but there's it, there's something kind of acid rock about it that I've always liked mm-hmm. um but this sort of uh, dichotomy of a of a thumping verse that sort of gets you into this really chill kind of swirly chorus, and I love when you know, the look at you now and those type of, um, I think that's what it's saying. Sorry if it's not, but uh,
1: it's, yeah, it is.
0: I'm bad at lyrics, but it's a really pretty, you know, kind of way to, to sort of keep building and layering that thing. And I, this is a real standout track. I think this one's great. how did this one come together?
1: This was one where a lot of it was, um, you know, different guys had different parts, Joel and Jake had sections and we, this is when we had the dry erase board and we would literally do a take where we'd write it out of form and then we would record it. And then we would change the form and record it again. And, and basically through trial and error we would kind of work it into a form that we thought was, um, finished. And then once they're all finished, we, um, put words on. So, um, this one was weird because we'd never really performed it that many times. So when we came back to learning all these songs, so we never performed them, it was like, I don't even remember any of these parts, you know, because we never played it live, you know. We yeah. just did it in the studio that day and then moved on to the next song.
0: This was the first song off mantis I heard live. It was uh Orbit Room Grand Rapids
1: mm-hmm.
0: um that same year, which doesn't exist anymore. I think, God rest stuff. its soul in the orbit room. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I remember. Yeah.
2: Bayless, who came up with the do doo doo do I called the Cisco Kid Rev cause it's it has that kind of war Cisco Kid thing going on, but it's so simple in, in, in a sea of complexity in this piece, but I love that little riff. Where did that come from?
1: I think it's Joel's riff. Um, I, it's funny. Cause if we, if I could get the, Kevin was recording everything. So like when we were tracking and, and writing, he was, had a mic's going the whole time. So we could go back and figure that all out. But my memory is that that was Joel's. Do, do you kind of enjoy
2: occasionally just with, with how complex and, and, uh, pushing a lot of different genres, occasionally just do like a dumb rock riff. I mean, that is a very simple kind of thing. Is it cool to just throw that in every once in a while, and remind people that simplicity is good?
1: Yeah, because it, so as much as I love prog rock, as much as you guys love prog rock, you probably know several people that don't, you know, my wife. Is like my everyone
2: wife. I know. <laughs> <laughs> you
1: know, all of our wives, uh, girls. Yeah. every female yeah, like, in America. like females. Yeah. So sometimes you have to, you know, keep everybody in. And that is always going to be with something that you can dance to. That's simple.
0: Well, you can sure as hell dance to this. This is uh, part two of cemetery walk.
2: Close stick time. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Totally.
0: Yeah, this is, uh, obviously it's a section from the main song. How did you guys decide to kind of make this a a one and two piece?
1: Uh, so this is Joel's progression. You know, when we were tracking it, there's a part where it's like a halftime, then it kicks in and it's driving. And I think it was Chris was like, we should do a vamp of that and make it like a house techno jam. And basically all it is, is that same progression over and over again. Right. Um, so Joel, Chris and Pony and I I wasn't there. So actually on this recording of the studio, I'm not playing anything. Oh really? Yeah. So then Joel had all these keyboard layers, so I had to so now when we play it live, I play a couple of them. So I had to learn them after the fact. Um and sometimes, you know, I don't, you know, feel the need to put my fingerprint on everything and just because I'm not on the song like, let's just put a guitar part so I can say I'm on it. If, if it doesn't serve the song, there's no need. So I don't have a problem, you know, uh, when it's appropriate to sit out.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's why you guys work and why you have longevity. We we've talked about a lot of different bands on the, on the old podcast here, um, that have really struggled to create longevity and, it, and it's not because they're not good. It's because I think of elements like you just mentioned, you know, you get into the creative control stuff and the ego stuff and the um, sort of lack of contentment stuff. It it seems like you guys, unless you, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like you guys legit like each other.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's family and like family, there are going to be fights. I mean, I love my little brother, but we spent 15 years beating the shit out of each other growing up, (laughs) Um, but I'll still FaceTime and have a beer with him on the weekend, you know? so it's 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 always contentious when there's this much i guess passion involved because you're 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 on stage doing stuff and the smallest thing can be taken as a big slight that was completely unintentional and some sometimes a, a band is i mean it always is it's a sum of parts right You band together mm-hmm. and i think the downfall to a lot of bands is when people can't mm-hmm. understand that it's okay to let somebody else win, you know?
0: Yeah, that's huge. And, you know, you, you, you said it earlier. I mean, you know, um, make the song work, right. That that's what, that's what matters. That's what's first and foremost is not who did this or who did that. It's about the song, you know, and, and you can tell, you know, certainly by the way you guys collaborate, but just, you know, through part of, I think your, your longevity has been that it's really been about the song and really been about uh, the content more so than all the bullshit that can kind of go into it sometimes.
1: No, yeah, we definitely have been, I mean, we take pride in it you know, it's something we all take very seriously, but fundamentally too, if it's not fun, it's going to, tr- it's going to show. So we try and figure out ways to make everybody happy, but also, you know, respectful of everybody's needs. Um, but honestly, most of the time when we're together, all we do is try and make each other laugh the whole time so i think that is it laughter is a big part of it because music is super serious but if you take yourself too seriously it's just it's not gonna land well
0: that's one of our i I, you know speak for you knows but that's that's probably one of our favorite things about you guys is none of you individually nor collectively do you take yourselves too seriously now to your point the output is great and important and complicated and all that but you know, you guys love music. It comes across you guys. Get along. It comes across. And I think it all just leads to this, you know, very positive experience that you guys offer. And, uh, and that's why we need normalcy. That's why we need you back, you know,
1: <laughs>
0: but, uh, we'll, we'll carry on here. I, 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 I would assume this would be the beginning of side two. If you're, uh, taking in the, uh, the vinyl version, but uh, something a little bit more kind of bluesy and I think a little bit more kind of unique here with turn and run.
2: Man, the hands of Chris Myers. Unbelievable. He's yeah. doing a lot of that stuff with one hand. Like they, that, they, he's a freak. He's unreal.
1: Yeah, he's tuning a snare with the one hand <laughs> and doing fifteen drum drum fills with the other. It, and this
2: one also,
0: to me, kind of it's kind of like "Cemetery Walk." One has a little bit of that sort of acid vintage feel to it, which is nice. the The vocal layering is really great throughout the whole record. You know, a lot of these sort of um, swirling, kind of backing oohs and ahs and those types of things are, are really cool and really important. And you guys pull it off nicely live too, which probably isn't always easy, but I think turn and Run's a good example of that where when it kind of thickens out and you get a lot of the, you know, kind of vocals working together and um, it's, it's a nice, it's got a nice groove to it. Do you like playing this one live?
1: I do. It's funny because there's people that come see us a lot and there's this one group from the East coast. And every time we play it, they kind of just go like give me that look so there are times <laughs> where literally it's on the set list and if i see them in the crowd i try and change it to something else because i just don't want to even though two thousand people might like it i'm thinking about these four people front <laughs> yeah,
2: always yeah.
1: <laughs> no that's weird but um, so i love it i've always liked the song um, it's it's weird because this and cemetery walk are kind of about the same thing i had a friend who had a drug problem that basically the song is me talking to him Hmm. if I could get through to him things I would have said if you know that kind of thing so some of that uh maybe the the similarities between the two songs are kind of because they're kind of hitting the same subject
0: yeah that's interesting you can you can kind of get the impression that I mean there's a lot of feeling to it that it was uh something kind of meaningful so that's interesting you know that 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 was kind of part of the miracle. I can't
1: hit you, but I can shake the shit out of you. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Good good Chris Rock there. Yeah. (laughs) Well, uh, let's get to the next one with Spires. I love, you know, when, when, when you guys, you know, kind of build things up like that, you know, you get, you guys have a lot of tunes where, you know, it's the whole thing is kind of getting you, it's like a slow build, you know, and it's not over the top and it's not ingenuine. And I, I I love the way this one, it kind of takes you up and then you sort of strip everything away and get to kind of a couple of those interludes. But it seems like everybody's kind of whaling here. The piano parts are great. You know, Joel's, you know, kind of hitting a nice layer there with some of those tickly kind of uh, piano parts. But Spires is a nice song. It feels like it pulls a lot of this stuff together in in kind of a jamming sort of way.
1: Uh, So some of these tunes, uh, like Spires, if my memory serves me correctly, the verse progression the top comes from, we played a gig at, I want to say Navy Pier, and it was like a triple wide jam. And a lot of, some of these songs throughout the history of the band come from us listening back to an improv and saying that Mm -hmm. part right there, let's turn that into a verse of a song, or (laughs) that's a chorus. So um, Spires was one where that part came from an improv and we kind of built the song around it. And at the time, I think we were going for Abacab, some Genesis, The, the whole middle part is... Basically, it's not ripping off <laughs> Abacab, but we were all listening to Genesis at the time. And it was like, let's do something like, what would Genesis do if they were here now? You know, something ish. So it started with the riff and then kind of tried to make it into a, because we are seeing as the songs were coming together that it was going in this similar direction of complicated and kind of more uh, adventurous, I guess. So, so yeah. the stakes were higher so every song kind of got like what can we add to it to make it crazier because this is not going to be our jam band album. We definitely yeah. were thinking prog rock the whole time.
0: Well, you said unfortunately Nubbs's boner is back with you said Genesis. So I mean, that's the only that's the only real drawback of what you said. Triple size right now.
2: <laughs> triple wide. <laughs> <laughs> I'm at a full triple wide. <laughs> <laughs> the I, I like the abacab call too because you know one of the things i love about that song is the whole middle feels like it's the three of them in a studio improving. yes and it very well could have been because it, that's how they were writing at that phase of the game and uh and i do get the same vibe from spires the thing that stands out to me on that and and uh, the rest of the record too is just the the guitar chemistry you know between the two of you and the way that you just seem to naturally complement each other, is there w- was there a chemistry kind of from the beginning when you guys first started playing together or have you had to really work on how to complement each other? How much thought do you put into that? Does it happen organically or do you guys have to really sit down and figure out, you know, how your part is going to complement his and back and forth? How does that all shake out during the process?
1: Well, initially Jake was in a different band and I went up to his house in college and took two or three guitar lessons and basically it was like show me all your hot licks." and i just recorded them and then went home and learned how to play them so when it came time we all moved to chicago and i was like if we can get jake in the band we would just go this way and i remember having a conversation and it didn't get voted on um and i went ahead and called him anyway i was like hey listen um they're gonna kill me but i think you need to be in this band I kind of just went ahead and did it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) So I've always had a respect for him as a player. And a lot of the stuff we write, I can kind of, with him in mind, or he's got me in mind. And a lot of the harmonies we've worked out are organically just from playing songs like Mulchay's Odyssey or Bridgelist, these complicated things that we're harmonizing together. We never wrote them out. It was more, just playing it in eye contact. He'll look down. I'll know he's going down an octave. He'll look up. And I know he's going up an octave. Um, and honestly, the more we talked about it, the harder it was. So we just never really, we just played. And I was just like, I'm going to just be here. You do what you need to do. And then I'm going to get up to speed with just give me a couple of days on whatever you're doing. I'll be behind. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I mean, he must be so much fun to collaborate with because he's, he's got such a range and you know, not that you're going to come on a podcast and bag on the dude, but he seems like a very cool guy too, just in terms of his approach to art, you know, and his approach to music and things like that. It just seems like personality wise, which is such a huge part of this, as we talked about earlier, that he'd just be fun to play with, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's also, um, when you're, there's times where his, he'll be playing, like we'll do Steve Vaughan, Lenny. And I still get excited when it's his turn to do a solo. Cause every time I'm like, I know this is going to be good. <laughs> so, like, there's still moments of me being able to turn off and enjoy the show, and then collaboratively, I guess it's been good for me because it gives me confidence if he's if he's gonna include me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, he wouldn't take a hack along with him. So, yeah,
0: I see that a lot on Jajunk. You know, you guys working together, communicating together. You know, it's like a it's this conversation you know going on um, through the dueling guitar and there are moments where you know it's complementary there are moments where it's together you know you guys get some of that thin lizzy stuff going it's fun to watch it's fun to watch that that conversation that that you guys often have and kind of realizing you know to your earlier point you know when Somebody sitting back when somebody's diving in, when, you know, how to work the timing on all those things. And like you said, who's going up, who's going down. It's I'm sure it's fun for you guys, but it's fun as hell to watch for us. So things, uh, things slow down a little bit here with, uh, prophecy now.
1: Initially, the, fir- the first time we recorded it, it was fully instrumental. And I remember coming to the studio one day and Jake had laid all the vocals. on I was like, whoa, whoa, when did that happen? <laughs> I, I think he thought that the song would get kind of scrapped if it was instrumental.
0: Ah, uh, okay.
1: That's, this, how, that's a Jake tune.
0: Is this kind of just an interlude to kind of bring things back down a little bit before? Because, I mean, obviously things get pretty rowdy here in the last two tracks in a good way. Was that kind of the idea with Prophecy No?
1: Yeah, there needed to be some breathing because you can't just constantly bombard people with notes. So this was the the take a breath before we slap you in the face one.
2: I don't know. Have you ever heard Ingve Malmsteen? I mean, he, you know. <laughs> yes, I
1: have. Yes, he's I have.
2: always bombarding.
1: Yes, he's always bloated. Yes.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, the there are two slaps to the face here, to use your term, uh, that that really hit you over the head beautifully with beautiful pain here are the last two songs that are complete jams. The first being red tape.
2: Your it's my ready.
0: Again, that kind of, Thumping thing, you know that that kind of pulsating thing that works uh, in, in a couple different moments uh, on this one. Great vocal harmony, you know, great vocal altogether. Really catchy. And, yeah. yeah, it's a great live song. it's a Great yeah. live. I know but I know you've always liked to hear this one live. I like. I love to hear it live. I wish Bayless
2: would play a little bit more.
1: I I, I don't <laughs> know. It's, I always feel like when we play that song, it gets like a mixed response. It's not like there's songs that people are like, yes, and ninety percent of the crowd is. And that's a song that I feel when we started, it's always, huh, I can't tell, but.
2: It might get into the tempo of it. It's kind of, it's kind of an, a tweener, you know, tempo yeah. wise, very mid tempo. And, but I, I think this is one you, you might not see the immediate reaction from the crowd, but the musicians in the crowd are going, yes, you know, cause yeah. there's so much to hear in terms of what's going on here.
1: I'm listening to this today for the first time in years. And I, I'm realizing that like that I was going through a Wilco phase when I was mm. writing this and I hear little, that, like, sure. that progression the down, down, it's kind of like television. Um, but I, marquee moon, I think is the name of the song. Um, yep. Yep. but it, it's a lot of, like, there's a lot of Wilco grooves like that. So I, I think that was me just trying to be like, we need something that is more lady friendly and not just like angular riffage. Um, and then, let's see Jake had the middle part um yeah that was another one we kind of stuck i had some parts he had some parts and we just kind of we call it legos we just stick pieces together and make it work
0: indeed well here's one that you guys certainly made work you mentioned it earlier as a fun one to play you've probably never had to wonder about the response to this one because usually it's ape shit and uh yeah, you yeah guys, cue
2: the angular guitars here
0: yeah <laughs> and, and you guys put this at the end of your sets a lot and uh and it's always a uh, it's always a heater with thirteen forty eight. Bam. Mantis complete.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Who? Where? Where did? Doo-doo-doo-doo-doo, where, where did that originate? And so who? I- f- who felt awesome after they wrote that?
1: I did. Um- I, I my initial demo of this song, the the guitar is it's like a shitty delay and it's clean. It doesn't sound good. Um, and then the the main riff, the uh, I remember. I'm a huge Guns N' Roses fan, and I as much as I don't want to admit it, they have a song called "Locomotive." Yeah. And the main riff in Locomotive is ba bump, 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 ba bump, ba bump. And I just love that riff. And I was like, we need a song with that kind of riff. So I basically went ba bump, and I made some odd changes to make it odd meter so it wouldn't sound at all like. But next time you listen to Locomotive, think about that main riff. And that's the inspiration for the riff for 1348.
0: That's awesome. How, by the way, how great are those User illusion records? My I, God,
1: it pisses me off that they couldn't keep it together to do more. Ugh, I they're know. So
0: good. What, did you like Chinese democracy?
1: I liked better. There's a couple songs on it that I liked um, a couple songs. I really didn't like, but I mean, I remember going to Best Buy. I bought the vinyl and I was walking down Clark street, holding it up. Like it was, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, hell yeah. Some of it is good. Some of it is okay. But I mean, the song better is really good. I like that. Yeah. One. Better is really good.
2: I think 1348, it's a great example of this dual vocal thing, the way you take the first verse and then Jake's vocal line, the whole thing, you know, and and again, I don't, I don't know what the hell he's singing about and I don't care, but there's something about when he does the, is it plant seed light or whatever? And he, it's a theatric moment too. He always does this thing and, um, it, that's it's a great example of the, this dichotomy of you guys's voices you know you take the first first and there's a delicate aspect to it and then jake comes in with the second was this song ever intended to be instrumental because it's heavily instrumental i mean it doesn't have a ton of vocals in it just the two verses and then the end but how did how did this complex proggy thing get combined with these verses like how did it all come together in that way
1: well my, like the initial demo i had for the song was clean there was no distortion So the verse was, it seemed more natural and I wanted to have vocals in it because that's just my job. Um, And I had, basically I think of it as four vocal lines and I had three of them written and it came time to like, to record it. And I was like, man, I don't have a fourth line and can we do it tomorrow? And Jake was like, can I do it? It's like, sure. So came back the next day and heard this part and was just like done next song.
0: Nice. Well, hell of a way to close out a hell of an album. We uh typically on these episodes we we do this thing where we uh at the end we uh either uh put it on the turntable, uh we put it in the collection, we say it's collecting dust or we uh put it in the for sale bin. And we'll just we'll just save a lot of time and just say this one's on the turntable.
2: What's more than on the turntable? Like never leaves the turntable. I don't know. We need to invent a higher rating, but yeah, this is an album that's really meant a lot to us, certainly as fans of the band, but as musicians and, and we just appreciate this work. That's the best way I can say it. It's a work that I think, you know, in 2009, there, there wasn't a whole lot going on that sounded like this. And the fact that you guys have just remained so bold in your career and so daring as a group to be able to put together an album like this top to bottom is, you know, it's certainly a classic in our minds and, and, and it should be a classic in everyone's minds. And we'll, we'll, we'll keep you know, tooting the horn to make sure more and more people hear Mantis. Cause it's, it's a work that people need to need to really discover and really appreciate.
1: I, that means a lot, man. I appreciate it. and I, I, Thanks for having me because it, I literally was listening to it today and halfway through, I was like, Oh, this is it. It's actually pretty good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> always good when you when you like your own shit, right? You know.
1: Most of the time I don't. So <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, hopefully one of these days when you're back up in Detroit, you'll you'll take you'll take us up on our 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 date offer to come feather bowling at the Casu Cafe, which is it's just a blast. You'd love it. Um so I'll keep pounding you for that. I know that'll probably get easier in the coming years, yeah. but But that aside, can't wait for you guys to come back up here in May. Um, That is going to be fantastic. Can't wait for the normalcy of you guys making the usual February ish and October ish uh, appearances up here in the Great Lakes State. And Bayless, thanks so much for taking the time to hang with us. You know, we've been, we just kind of started this podcast uh, about a year ago as something to kind of do. And, and be able to nubs and i be able to actually have an excuse to hang for a couple hours every week yeah. and you know 43 episodes later you know to be able to have um certainly a a huge musical influence on us um you know but but to be able to talk through these tracks and talk through you know kind of you know your background and your approach to music has really been awesome for the podcast and a real thrill for us so we really appreciate it man
1: no, I mean, like I said, man, I, I, this was nice for me. I, I, I don't talk about stuff in this much detail ever. Um, uh, but I, I like the opportunity to, so thank you very much.
0: Well, thank you. And we'll see you in may and, uh, and, and, and throw words on the set list. If you don't mind, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> take your shirt off T. Don't,
1: yeah. <laughs> that's right.
0: Look for the shirtless guy. Take care Bayless. And, uh, we'll, we'll see you in the summer. Thanks
1: awesome. man. Thank you guys very much.
0: All right. Take care, man. See <sighs> well, Nub, you know, just just another day of the podcast. You know, uh
2: Yeah, just you know,
0: <laughs> just another day. Well, that was really awesome of uh Brendan Bayless to spend some time with us. Uh obviously an album that uh we're we're very fond of. Thank you again to him and and thank you again to Humphreys McGee for the years and years of music and the years and years of music to come as we get back to normalcy. So Nub, it's part of normalcy on our episodes here. To close things up with a little in your head, let's do it. Hey I'm Dolores, yeah Dolores.
2: Runaway Dolores. Nub, what do you got in your head, buddy? So, you know, last week we talked about uh, little Frankie goes to Hollywood and we talked about Trevor Horn. And I uttered the word seal and that got me kind of thinking about seal and don't cry. Which is uh, one of many SEAL songs that I love. I'm a, I'm actually a huge fan of SEAL. And Trevor Horn, obviously an mm. incredibly important part of SEAL. So big, big SEAL guy. Yeah, I really am. Like, yeah. okay. We might have to do a little SEAL here on uh on two twins in an album. So that's one. Second would be the song Sea in Red. This is by unwritten law. You remember the song, T? Got to be from the so follow yes the leader yeah. down but there's no
0: place left to go maybe, maybe that's, that's when you will you know, know. Yeah. yeah no I don't know that
2: I don't know that song at all
0: <laughs> no
2: that's a great one you like seeing red right yeah absolutely and then last just carrying on the old catchy train here would be take the long way home by super Trap. I love that song man I bet you don't no why would you say that. Doesn't seem really up your alley. Super tramp. I don't know. Love super tramp. All right. You, good. Man? Good. Love it, love it. I mean, so, I'm more of a, I'm
0: more of a goodbye stranger kind of guy, but it's you know, ah, yeah, okay. fine. Yeah.
2: Love it. All right. So that's it. What is uh, in your head?
0: Well, I've been, uh, figuring out a way to get my, uh, you know, my, uh, eight year old clay who many of you remember from previous episode, you know, pumped up for hockey practice. So every time we drive to hockey practice, it's about a 12 minute drive and we listen to Numa by Tool, which is one of his favorite bands. That seems to do the trick as far as getting them all riled up. Nice. Nice. The second is a band that you mentioned and one that we are both quite fond of and maybe someday we'll talk about that being Talk Talk. And perhaps, (sighs) boy, this is a tough one, but perhaps their best song, Such a Shame, which is... Just one of those tunes I could probably listen to four times a day and never get tired
2: of. I don't know if it's perhaps. I, I, think, we can, I think we can have a two twins in an album agreement here. That is Talk Talk's best song. I mean, how does well, it get any better?
0: I would agree. I kind of you know, appreciate that uh, verification. And the third is from Caddyshack 2, Nobody's Fool by Kenny Loggins, which is a great song to work out to. If you're into that fitness sort of thing, really gets you fired up. Nub, I don't know. What do we what do we say in closing? That was obviously very special, very cool uh to have Bayless on with us. And uh
2: what are your thoughts in closing? Thoughts in closing is that was a very cool experience for us and uh for our listeners as well. And can't wait to get back to some normalcy and go to an Humphrey show. And it's coming up soon, so. Well, episode 43
0: is in the books and thank you again to Bayless and thank you to you nub because two twins in an album without you wouldn't be, it would be one twin in an album and that would be painfully boring and uninteresting. So
2: we'd have to recut
0: the theme song one tree, you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But Hey, uh, episode 43, a beauty, hopefully, hopefully you enjoyed it and we will see you next week for episode. 44 here on Two Twins and an album. Two
2: Twins. And well,
0: that's about it. That's all we have. I hope it wasn't too disappointing.
1: We will see you on tour. Until then, take it easy.